welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie. I'm here with my husband and co-host Jeremy and today we are talking to Daryl. So Daryl grew up in Cuba and we talked a lot about his life there as a child in terms of school, playing in the countryside and what life was like actually growing up in Cuba. He then moved to Miami with his family at the age of 14 and we talked about him having to learn a new language, the culture shock of moving from kind of small town Cuba to now big town America where the kids have different toys and just life was completely different for him. He also talked about coming out to his parents and how that was a little bit complicated on his relationship with them and also figuring himself out as a gay man. We also talked about his modelling and how that helped build his self-confidence and now he is working as a CEO of his own marketing agency in Miami. Make sure you stay until the end as Jeremy has a very special question asking Daryl where his name comes from so make sure you stay until the very end to find out about that. Enjoy the episode. Hi Daryl, welcome to the show, thank you for being here. Hi guys, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. We met you as a lot of guests in a podcast at Daybreaker. Yeah. We have a few mutual friends that have been guests as well. And yeah, you, you're very tall, so you stand out on the crowd for a start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> also, something that I do remember about you is that you're a really good hugger. Yeah. I love, love saying to hi to you at the Daybreaker. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Always get really warm cuddles and hugs and that was yeah. really cool. It's funny because I usually have to like kind of bend over to yeah. hug. <laughs> Not always. Yeah. You guys are pretty tall, but some people, especially Joanne too, I'm like, yeah. I, she hugs me and it's like under my armpit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out to Jojo. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, no, yeah, I, 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 I really wanted to... I really wanted to have you on the show because a few conversations that we had uh, gave me the feeling that you had a really interesting life. Uh, I've got to say that our conversations were limited to daybreaker time, so we didn't Mm -hmm. go deep into the conversations. Um, But, you know, sometimes you can feel people. And I also know that the daybreaker community in Miami is full of incredible people. We haven't met any bad person anyone that wasn't interesting and fascinating honestly yeah um, no same it's, so. it's a beautiful community mm. it is so maybe we're gonna start with the basics you know uh, where are you from so i was born and raised in cuba i uh-huh. lived there until i was 14 and then uh, moved over to miami at that time back in 2006 what do you remember as life in cuba as a child like, what was life like? Because I have no idea what that would be. Yeah, um, it's I cherish it a lot. I mm-hmm. always tell my sister, I have a younger sister who's about to be 17 this year. She came when she was just a few months old. And uh, seeing her grow up very differently from me was always something that struck me. Uh, not only did I live in Cuba, but I lived in a very, very small town in the middle of the country. It was called Guayos in the province of Santi Spiritus. The town must have had like 8,000 to 10,000 people. Very, very small countryside. It was a very peaceful, innocent uh, childhood. <laughs> I was more of an introvert kid. Um, had a sack of, like a potato sack full of toys. And I would, you know, I remember spraying them in my porch, in my front porch, and playing for hours and hours. Uh, it was a very safe place. Uh, there was never a concern of like 
you know, being worried that your kid's going to get kidnapped or shot in school or anything like that. Um, I loved going, I used to walk ever since I was in pre-K, I would walk from my house to my pre-K. Mm. Uh, the first couple times I remember my, my mom tells me this, that she walked me, but that I was so excited that I, I didn't even like let her like take me the whole way. I was like, no, I can do it. I know where it is. Um, it must, it was like, four five blocks um i remember the in cuba of course a communist country that everyone wears the same thing it's a uniform uh i remember there was a red short white button down and a pañoleta a little hand heart handkerchief oh, yeah. i think it's called yeah um it was beautiful i loved school as a kid i was always very very smart <laughs> i always got really good grades and um then my mom, uh, my parents were divorced ever since I was a kid. Uh, okay. Must have been like one or two years old. Um, they both had and still have a really wonderful relationship, uh, which I really oh, appreciated a lot. They never like shit talk to each other or, you know, mm -hmm. they, they always brought each other up, which made me love them equally and together a lot. Um, but then when I was around, I want to say seven or eight years old, she met my stepdad, who she's still together with, and he's the father of my my sister. And we moved from the little house where I live with my grandma to even further into the countryside to uh, and his house, which was um, in a farm. And from eight until 14, when I came here, I lived there. And that was I was a little older, so I remember a lot more from that period. Mm. Um, but it was really beautiful living there. I would wake up and I, I would go and climb a guava tree or a mango tree. Or um, there's these things called guanabanas too, which are like green and they have a fleshy interior and black seeds that are like, I don't even know how to describe them. It's You guys have to try them one day. Yeah. <laughs> They're very, very delicious. And um, there was chickens and pigs and cows. And I remember... Um, helping my stepdad um, harvest tomatoes and making tomato sauce and canning them and all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of outside play, a lot of just being connected to nature, which is just something I love to do. And mm -hmm. um, anytime I go to like a festival that I camp or if I go to like a national park, it, it immediately brings me back to that mm. period in my childhood. It's it might sound stupid what I'm going to say, but you know, sometimes like, I think, I mean, I guess we all do that. We have an image of someone in our yeah. head, like some things that we imagine from people. And it's funny, like I, from what I know about you and, and your, I don't know, your, your look and everything, I don't picture you as someone who grew up in a farm. Like I, I see you more as a city guy than a farm guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's, it's funny uh, it's, because... It's funny, like it's, it's bringing like a whole other side of you, you know, yeah. in my head. <laughs> and that's something that I have learned myself. People are full of layers and character. Yeah. Um, and what you may be showing or what your current um, face in life is might not be necessarily um, what you experience in your childhood or what your values are. Um, especially in Miami, there's a lot of people that put on a facade. Uh, yeah. In my case, I do love living in the city ever since I moved to Miami and that first even that first ride, which I'll tell you guys about how it happened because it was also like crazy. Um, you know, that first ride into in the airplane and seeing all those tall buildings. The tallest building in my in my town was probably like five, six stories. Mm 
Yeah. Um, so seeing all these beautiful lights and buildings and uh, infrastructure and development, I was like, wow, I just love. And landing in a place like Miami, which you guys know very well, um, yeah. you, you feel the ener- energy instantly. You, you, and I learned to love city living and I, I still live here in Brickell and I love being able to walk some places and seeing people and cafes and shops and restaurants and things like that. So I very much um, love the city, but I, there's a huge part of me as well that loves nature. And I always yeah. tell my boyfriend that we're going to have many houses in many places, but one has to be in the city, one has to be in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's interesting to move at an age of 14 because I feel like sometimes when people move like house or move country or whatever they're either too young or they're kind of too old if that makes sense it's yeah. kind of later on in life but 14 is such a influential time in your life where Absolutely. you're kind of becoming a teenager becoming more yourself mm-hmm. maybe starting to rebel maybe not I don't know if you did that as yeah. a child but it's <laughs> such an interesting time of your life to go from a farm in Cuba to Miami do you remember like a big shock was it like holy shit what am I doing here like get me back home or did you instantly love it like it was I mean it was rough in the beginning of course um yeah I can imagine learning a new language so my I I came here just speaking Spanish I didn't know much of English my dad is actually an English professor so I knew maybe like a handful of words he was like Uh he had taught me but um, first getting here and like assimilating into the culture and going into I got here in eighth grade going into middle school in us in the middle of Little Havana um, a school full of people that I mean there were a lot of immigrants there also which um, I never really clicked with and that's why also like mm. my accent kind of got eliminated very fairly quickly um, like people nowadays think like oh you're from Cuba but you don't have an accent I mean I obviously have a Miami accent and there is some yes. stuff in there but um like there's people with heavy accents that are even got here even younger than me um but yeah it was definitely a shock um in in many ways for one thing um getting here in eighth grade and seeing what people were being taught the kids my age were being taught i was like but i learned this like two years ago wow. um, especially things like math not knowing the language i still knew how to do everything like yeah way faster and easier than than everyone in my in my grade um so that was uh, definitely something that shocked me like um things like the amount of violence that was shown in 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 school as well not like from the kids themselves um obviously also like the level of technology that i had access to i didn't have my first computer my own Mm -hmm. personal computer until i came here um phones things like that that was all very shocking and um i'm a techie i love technology so i was that part was very exciting like oh my god all this access to things and i remember that period of my life um 14 15 where i would go on wikipedia on my computer and just like go on like rabbit holes and and like read about the most random things in the world and i would go from one link to the next to the length to the next <laughs> Um, I would spend hours on it. It was just not something that I had access to in Cuba. So like yeah. that access to knowledge, a wealth of knowledge of the most random thing you would want to find out about, you could look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So did you have access to internet in Cuba? I guess not then. No, I did no. not. That must no, have I... been mind blowing, wasn't it? To be like, oh my God, I can literally ask Google anything. I mean, it was yeah. for everyone, I think, when the internet yeah. came around. It was like, holy shit, like yeah definitely uh no no access in cuba i had i remember in 
fifth or sixth grade, uh, my school got a few computers. I think there were like five computers and there was a computer room and there was a an, like an IT class that we, we went through and we were learning how to type on Word and we had a Microsoft Paint and things like that, but mm -hmm. there was no access to, to internet. Um, mind you, this is a smaller city. Of course, larger cities yeah. um, like Havana, they had internet already, but uh, not us. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, when, when you live somewhere and you look at another place like Cuba, so let's say from, from an, an American perspective, you look at the US, you, uh, you look at Cuba based on the news, based on, based on what you know, based on, um, what people say, you know, you, you know what the Cuban people is missing and everything that's going wrong and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but because you have another perspective, but for the 13 first years of your life, growing up in Cuba and maybe being a bit disconnected from the world without internet and without having another reference, did you feel you were lacking things for lack of a better word, you know, do you know what I mean? Uh, did you oh. feel that it was a hard life and it wasn't maybe as normal, whatever that means as other people could have? It's a very interesting question. And, um, no, I did not feel that I was lacking anything. I, I was very fortunate, uh, that my mom and my grandmother and my stepdad were able to provide, they made ways, you know, my mom, it was, she was, she studied as an English, as a Spanish professor. They were both professor, my parents. <laughs> she yeah. studied as a Spanish professor and she was um, teaching at the university. But as soon as I was born, she realized that she couldn't live. Um, she couldn't sustain life like that. Like they were paying her maybe like a hundred, two hundred, I don't know, 500 pesos a month, which could buy you a loaf of bread and milk, a loaf of bread and milk. Yeah. Um, so she did what she had to do she had made her own business and i was fortunate enough that i never struggled with things like food um which a lot of people did and continue to do yeah. um there's a lot of poverty a lot of necessity and um my uncle is still over there and, and he's we've asked him many times to to come over here but he refuses he's comfortable he's already older um I did not feel that I was lacking anything in Cuba. Mm -hmm. I I loved, um, I loved living there. I loved what I learned as a kid there. The values that it instilled in me. Um, now, if you talk about things like um, censorship, indoctrination, um, yeah, that was everywhere. Even in very subconscious levels of, you know, all of the the school books, for example. Um, were all, of course, government issued and every, all the narrative, it was very, very controlled. But since I was a kid, I didn't get to a level where that affected me personally. Of course, my parents and my grandparents were affected by it. Um, mm -hmm. And also things like, you know, I, my grandma tells me stories about when I was a kid, when I was born, it was right after the Soviet Union had fallen. And that was back in 1992. <laughs> um, that was the only thing that was kind of sustaining Cuba at, at, at the time. And when that happened, there was a lack of everything. My my grandmother is a seamstress by trade. So she was able to, you know, 
travel to other cities, buy fabric, and actually make me clothes for, for me as a baby. But otherwise, I wouldn't have, there was no opportunity to buy anything. Not only because there was not a lot of money to spend, but also because there was nothing to buy. Supply. Yeah. yeah. So things like that, yeah, we were lacking uh, those kinds of things. But I had a happy childhood and I wouldn't change anything about it. <laughs> so as we're talking about Cuba, before we do move on, have you been back as an adult? And if so, what's your view on it now? Yeah, so this is a question that my family asked me a lot as well. When am I going to go back? I have not gone back. I have not no. gone back uh, in over 15 years now. Um, I have not felt the need. Thankfully, most of my family's here. Uh, I have my grandmother here in Miami. My mom, my sister, my stepdad are in Houston, Texas. And my dad and his family are in Madrid, Spain. So I have traveled to all those places and I, I keep in touch with them. Um, I do have still have some cousins and uncles and whatnot in Cuba. But one thing that always bothered me about going back is that, and I know this may sound silly, but to me it's like, why? <laughs> um, even as an American citizen, um, since on my American passport it says that my nationality is Cuban, in the eyes of the Cuban government, I still need a Cuban passport to go to Cuba. Okay. And I find that completely ridiculous. I don't understand why that's a requirement. And I would be supporting a regime that I disagree with. Uh, getting a Cuban passport is something like 800 to $1,000. So plus, you know, the ticket plus everything they charge is, yeah. it's like, I don't, I don't. And also on another, on another note, there's so many places in the world that I haven't been to that I'm like, yeah. I'd rather go there and, and experience new places than revisit Cuba at this time. Of course, I will definitely go back one day. I would love to show maybe my future kids or my partner at the time where I grew up, but it's not something on my mind at the moment at all. Yeah. What was the, the reason that made you and your family mostly uh, move to Miami? Right, so I wanted to touch on this because it was a really rare thing to happen uh, when I was born I must have been two or two years old my mom and my dad um, sent an application for this visa lottery that was going around um, and 10 years later they she got it oh it's a very rare thing to happen it doesn't happen very often at all um, but she actually won a visa lottery from the United States and she was able to bring me and my sister and my stepdad all so did not come in a raft <laughs> came on a plane thankfully um, and it was all very safe and um, very fortunate for that to have happened to us mm -hmm. yeah. my grandma was also able to come um, just before us um, on a different uh, via a different uh, way and uh, yeah, we're all here. We're happy. We're together. <laughs> Good. And and the reason you ended up in Miami is it because of your family's felt maybe it was safer because it's a strong Miami community, uh, yeah, Cuban community in Miami. Of, or? Um, absolutely. Uh, there was relatives here that we have. My gra my grandmother has uh, two or three siblings here, and we have cousins and family and relatives, and also because of proximity. Most Cubans that yeah. come from uh, Cuba to the United States arrive to Miami. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have never lived anywhere else than Miami and that might change in the future but for now I I love the city <laughs> so then you were a teenager in Miami that must yes. have been fun once you were kind of acclimatized to the new <laughs> culture and the new language and the new people what was life like in Miami as a 15 16 17 year old it was very fun it was very free um I remember we moved around a lot first we lived in Little Havana then we lived in West Miami then all the way in Kendall. Um, I remember when I got my first job at Hollister and started making money and then started going on trips, cruises and traveling with friends and going to parties. I was a very good kid. I didn't get in trouble very much. I didn't have a drink until I was 18. Uh, I didn't go to a club until I was 21. Um, Are you the only one in, in the whole America? <laughs> yeah. I probably, I don't know. I was I was a very innocent kid. And um, the one thing I remember about those years is my when I started to realize that I was gay and that whole process of coming out to my parents was a very difficult period of my life. Um, but it was also very formative and uh, was when I truly became the freest stuff felt ever. How old were you when you came out, if you don't mind me asking? So it was actually by accident. My mom was looking through Facebook, through my Facebook, and she found out that I was, you know, when you remember when you used to put you in a relationship with such and oh, such? Oh, yeah. I had one of those, and she confronted me, and she asked me, um, what is this? Are you this? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. And then um, she was very... She had a very poor reaction in the beginning, mm -hmm. which was really rough on our relationship for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, we've moved past that. And I was also able to find a very good community in my high school that people were who were also in similar, going through similar issues. And we bonded and created this, this community of people that all understood each other and all accepted each other. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's even if things are going to the right directions in terms of uh, being more accepting as a whole, as a yeah. world, as a whole world and everything, um, I, I can, I mean, maybe be cliche here, but uh, I feel in a Latino family, in a Cuban household, mm. there's always this roots of m macho, of guys, of what yeah. is supposed to be as a man and stuff like that. And yeah. uh, it's it's deep into the roots of uh, the whole Latino culture, like Cuban, South America, Spain, Portugal, I see, yeah. even France, honestly. And it was interesting that it's it's very true and it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the first questions that my mom asked me when I was and to answer your question, Rosie, I was 16. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the first things that she asked is like, but but you don't behave like like gay people behave. And I'm like, mm. what do you mean? Because I'm not a very feminine person. I'm mm -hmm. more on the masculine side generally, um, but I love I have embraced my femininity more as, as I've grown up. 
but yeah even as a kid i was never there you know you hear stories of, of my peers like oh when i was five i was playing with barbie dolls and yeah that never interested me i was always a very boy boy mm. i loved dirt and i loved getting dirty and i loved playing with cars and um the way i present myself to the world and even things like as stupid as your accent and like your your um depth the, the depth of your voice yeah. um so it's something that in the gay community is is still you know it's an issue within the community itself because you have the more masculine presenting um queer people that sometimes we're not made comfortable with the more feminine ones mm. and um there's all kinds of of gay and trans people and mm. uh, masculinity or femininity does not define your sexuality or your gender identity at all mm. yeah i remember having a conversation about about that actually on on the podcast with a previous guest and i remember talking about not being gay enough in a sense right uh, within the community and yeah. how that was an issue that maybe we don't see when you're when you're not part of the community absolutely mm. um, you know I've, I've as i became more comfortable with the community and i started going out more i was able to experience a whole rainbow of kinds of people you know i remember going to my first queer party at the corner and next to space and i was like taken aback i was like oh my god there's so many kinds of people there's mm. like big bears which are like bigger bigger guys and there's leather people and then there's trans men and women and then there's people that are not sure what they are and don't identify with any of that or non-binary or um so th there's i love i love that the rainbow really represents the diversity of the community because it really does it really does exist and there's something for everybody out there <laughs> It's interesting what your mum said about you don't act like a gay person or you don't, right. you know, you're not Look. overly feminine. And same, I think the same conversation with this previous guest that we spoke with. I think my first experience of seeing a gay person was Sex in the City mm. and the gay best friend and that typical like, oh, let's go shopping and get yeah. a manicure together and, da, 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 and like, that's the kind of stereotype that I think we saw in the 90s and probably even 2000s. Yeah. And we still see it on TV. Yeah, we still yes. see it now. Yeah. And it's interesting how I think now with Instagram and YouTube and things like this, you can see real people who mm -hmm. are gay or whatever, you know, whatever they are in the rainbow or not, just being themselves and not having to be this like stereotype, stereotype of what a gay person is. But I think that's probably where your mum found that, you know, if that's that, if that's all she's been shown. Absolutely, is yeah. One gay character on Sex in the City, yeah. and that's what gay people are. And then it's you know it's interesting then when you start to meet other gay people who aren't quite what you think gay people are. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and it's like you're it and... you're right on on the dollar. Um, it comes with learning about the culture, and mm -hmm. uh, it comes with progress. Um, just like it happened with black people before, there was no representation. It happened and continues to happen, you're right, with with gay roles. Uh, sometimes they're a stereotype. And I'm thankful that, you know, I, I remember, I think it was 2010, I'm gonna say, when Obama was president and they finally legalized gay marriage. That was, I still have a screenshot saved from when I used to use um, Snapchat that they posted a whole story of that. That was a, a very 
pivotal moment in my life. It was like very gratifying to see that happen because it um, it made me less afraid to be who I am. It made me more accepting of myself, and um, it has it has also pushed for this. Uh, you know, we're we're here to stay. It's it's the norm. We're the same as everybody else. There's no reason for for us to have um, less rights or different rights. And um, I'm really happy that things continue to progress this way. Yeah. So if we carry on um, into your life, you went to the University in Miami to FIU, and you studied hospitality and then marketing I did uh, yes what what drove this choice the choice to do hospitality and tourism was kind of random to be honest I um, at that point I wasn't taking school very seriously and I remember I had failed calculus two or something and I went to my counselor and I was like I don't want to do this. This is too hard. I was, and looking back, I kind of like regret that decision. But at the same time, I don't because, for example, it, I met Joanne because of, because of hospitality, <laughs> mm. uh, who's you know my best friend and I cherish very much that friendship. But it was kind of like a choice I did uh, out of necessity to pick a major, mm. and uh, it was easy. I remember getting very good grades, A's for the most part, and B's in, in that program. Um, we used to go to the Biscayne campus, which was uh, up north, kind of heading to Aventura. And um, then I started going to, into I applied to a few hotels, and I applied at the Hilton, which is where I met Joanne and Frida and a lot of these people. And uh, worked there for three years, but I wasn't happy. I, I did not like uh, the schedule. I did not like the hours. I did not like to be yelled at by angry customers. Nope. Um, it's a very it's very rough to work in the service industry and, and nothing bothers me more than seeing a Karen yelling at a server. It's like so unnecessary. There's better ways to deal with things. I'm so sorry your food is cold. There's people starving in the world. Yeah. Um, I understand that's your reality, but the, the, res the level of response needs to be appropriate with what's happening. That's what people forget sometimes. Mm -hmm. So around that time, it must have been 2015, I graduated college, and then I started working at the Hilton that same year. And until 15, 16, 17, there was three years at the Hilton around 2017, I was really over it, even though I had done very well. I was, um, I, I forgot the word for that. See, this is what happens when you live 14 <laughs> years in Cuba. <laughs> I was promoted uh, twice or three times, and I was already a manager. I was guest services manager, um, and I, I honestly stayed that long because I loved the people that I worked with. Um, there was such a community there too, many of whom are still really, really great friends, including the managers and the and the general manager as well. But it's not something I saw myself doing for for a long time. It was very exhausting on my body too. I remember having to stand um, at the front desk for six, eight hours a day. 
and I decided at that point to rethink my life choices and uh, looked into marketing and that's when I found this wonderful program, this grad program at FIU as well, but here in Brickell. And it was a uh, one-year program with uh, like a cohort style. So the same person that we start with, we finish with back-to-back classes. It was one year and that's when I started my graduate program at FIU for marketing. And once I finished that, uh, I was living with, I was living with Pablo at the time, who is my business partner. And he had the idea, he's a very talented fashion photographer. And he had the idea at that time to create the agency uh, Ozo Lab, which is my big baby, <laughs> and uh, it's been already almost four years with Ozo. Wow. Let's talk about it then. Perfect transition. Yeah. <laughs> so you are a marketing agency. You do a lot. I went through your website. Like you, you go from the branding to the content creation, uh, building the website, doing yeah. the digital marketing, even like sound production. Like you really go deep into the whole branding as a whole as yeah all the aspects of it but you you focus in certain industry like fashion beauty lifestyle yeah uh, why do you pick this this specific area this niche well again um fashion is something that my business partner knows really well and does really well so that that was that was uh, a given but also we felt there was a lack in miami on these industries. Um, no one is or was doing really fashion uh, or wellness or lifestyle to the level that we do. You have a lot of agencies doing hospitality. <laughs> you have a lot of a lot of brands that um, and they make great money with these hotels. You know, they create monthly shoots um, for uh, it's more like lifestyle content. We decided to go a little bit where there was a hole in the market, which that was, you know, for fashion brands. And we like to think that we have, we are growing with the city as the city gets, you know, bigger in population and more brands are coming to Miami. And we saw that a lot last year with so many people moving here. Yeah. Um, it just made sense to kind of focus on things that we can do really well that are not really being done to the level that we can. So we've been fortunate enough to attract the attention of uh, some larger brands, including fashion brands, but also wellness and uh, beauty brands as well. Uh, the one thing that I love about Oso is that you come to us with an idea and we can make it happen. We love to start with brands that are just starting out. It's just an idea. I want to make this product. I want to sell this service. And we and especially I personally love doing all of the brand strategy and communication strategy, creating the brand identity and uh, growing from there. So once you have your brand established and you have a vision of what the brand should be, then we move on to content. Okay, let's create your first campaign. Okay, now you have a campaign. Let's, let's do your Instagram and whatever other social media you need. And from there, you know, it keeps going on. Uh, we could do ads if you need ads. We could do PR if you need PR. You need influencer marketing. We have the connection. Uh, more than a more than a, a a large creative agency or marketing agency, we're definitely still boutique, and we like to stay like that. 
we just did a rebranding um, with some new logo, which we're really excited about because the old one was already, I wasn't really connecting with it much. So we have a whole new brand, this bolder colors, and we're just happy to be making magic in Miami. <laughs> were you always a kind of creative guy when you were a kid or, or later? I wasn't classically or tr what you traditionally call a creative person. I'm actually a very analytical person, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, left, right, left yeah. brain, right brain kind of thing. Um, but it's been really fun to kind of develop my creative side. And I think it comes with just having good taste. I, I have I have dived into um, Illustrator and Photoshop and um, Part of part of my master's program taught me a lot of that uh, technical stuff. So I learned how to do websites and, and that kind of thing. But also then I started just playing around Illustrator. And now I can I I don't call myself a graphic designer because I'm not. <laughs> but I can if I have a vision in my head, I can actually implement it in in design. I also have built so many websites for for clients and friends and I. I guess I am a creative too now, <laughs> aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is something I've learned in Miami is that we're all creative in our own way. Yeah. I've never classified myself as a creative before in a traditional way, like you like you said. Yeah. Uh, I don't draw, I don't paint, I don't... Right. Yeah, all those things, but I feel technology is expanding the, mm -hmm. the, the spectrum of how you can be creative and absolutely yeah, technologies it's a lot more, more accessible yeah yeah i agree and i think that um there's you know real artists are are still gonna be cherished and and, and valued in the world because it's you know the also with my boyfriend he's also a fashion photographer and being surrounded by all these people all the time just makes you think wow people humans are so talented there's mm. so much talent in the world but there's also so many kind so many different kinds of, of talent and creativity so you mentioned that your boyfriend is a fashion photographer and so is your co-founder of the company did your modeling start with them because I know you've done a bit of modeling or was that something <laughs> that you did previously before knowing them like when did the modeling start so Growing up, you know, you get it all the time uh, because I guess I am not bad looking. <laughs> People are like, oh, I have, you're such a model, you should model. But I actually, I didn't really feel confident at all in my in my oh. teen teenage years. I have this big crooked nose and I had uh, big teeth and I just didn't really like how I looked back then. Um, and slowly I kind of like got out of my shell and I guess when people tell you long enough your ego gets up there and now I just <laughs> go with it <laughs> um, so I actually started modeling for Ozo um, every now and then we would do shoots just for the team and whatnot and um, they would take photos and it took me a while to be able to be comfortable in front of a camera I would literally like like clench up and tense up mm. um, out of like, I don't picture this so interesting. I know, right? It's not obvious so you, from the picture, you, and even as seeing you, I don't see that at all. It's so interesting. Um, so it took me a, a couple of years to be really comfortable in front of a camera, and, and now I'm 
very comfortable. Uh, I'm thankful to have launched that aspect of my life as well because I really do love it and um, it's given me a lot of opportunities to meet new brands and and friends and um, it's also, it's just really fun to do as well. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. I I mean, can also be terrifying. I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh. No, I mean, usually I I I tell models when I like I'm I've been in a lot of productions and a lot of photo shoots, and it's rough being a model sometimes. It really is. You know, you have so much pressure to look perfect, and then the day before, like you break out, or that you couldn't sleep the night before and you're tired that day, and um, you know, you have to worry about so many things, not only how you look, but like how you're moving. And God forbid there's also video in the photo shoot because then you have to be super careful. <laughs> so there's a lot of pressure on models to, you know, look a certain way and, and act a certain way. But also I've seen a lot of um, also part of like a global change, a lot more acceptance for different kinds of models you know yeah. um, different body types uh, and even like um, embracing imperfections you know now there's all these huge brands that want models that are not traditionally model like so you know they want people that have a gap in their tooth or they have a birthmark on their face or on the eye or even stretch look, marks and stretch marks and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's something that us as an agency also went through because some clients, you know, when you start playing around on Photoshop and you want to like make this this figure perfect, and then some clients are like, no, but I want to see the stretch marks. I want to see the imperfections. We're like, of course, we understand. And mm -hmm. it just makes so much sense for us to have a balance between, you know, what the ideal is and what reality is. Yeah. It's a tricky one. It's interesting you talking about that because yeah, you know, if you look at the pure human emotion side of things, you 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 would say, yeah, let's keep it real. You know, yeah. uh, we all have imperfections. We all yeah. human, yeah. Uh, so it, it can be part of it. But also, I can see the business side, the more of like course. pure marketing campaign. Like, no, we need to be careful with what we show. Like, if we want to attain this objective of xyz of course we have to present this side and yeah and that's balance. and that's the classic uh, dilemma now because you know traditionally marketing and advertising have been pushing beauty standards for i don't know decades and millennia um and thankfully and i think a lot of it has to do with gen z's <laughs> uh, yeah. and of course us, we paved the way for them, absolutely. But they have really said no to the bullshit of, you know, this unattainable beauty standard. And now there's a market for things like this to happen. Yeah. Um, even I think it even like helps more now to have that real look than that perfect image. That's the thing, the perfect image was so, like you said, dude, you know, a couple of years ago or 10 20 years ago was so yeah. normal like you would never yeah. see a wrinkle or a pore or anything on someone's face yeah and even and it and was even, so 
destructive for young girls like of myself course, being one of them of only course. ever seeing really really slim girls with yeah. zero imperfections and yeah. you grow up thinking oh my god why aren't I that yeah and I think it's so incredibly like amazing that now a lot of brands are showing plus size women and stretch marks and wrinkles and all these different things because yeah. I think then the next generation growing up they're probably still going to compare themselves I think that's the kind of a human nature thing to do but at least they're not comparing themselves against this one percent of the population who work really really hard to look that perfect yeah. and then get it all photoshopped anyway exactly at that's, least that's now the they'll tricky, be comparing that's, themselves against somebody who's like a real yeah, person yeah that's the tricky part is that yeah, this person might be skinny, but they're not that skinny. Like that yeah. was definitely retouched. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it's it's been we try to be as as real as we can. Of course, the client has the final say, but yeah. we as a, we as a as a as an agency try to um, be conscious of of these things because we're also a part of it. We're in this industry, so if we're not doing something about it, who is? Yeah. 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 Traveling is quite a big part of your life. Uh, you've been to quite many places. Yeah. <laughs> um, where is this love for travel? Where do you get a travel bug coming? Um, I think it's just, it, I've been a curious person my whole life. Mm. I have that sense of curiosity and discovery. And once I was, once I was able to um, you know, going back to Cuba, I, was ne I never traveled except for like the beach or nearby towns. Um, once I was able to kind of like awaken that curiosity for discovery, <laughs> I, and also I think last year was a huge wake up call as well because yeah. it made me realize that our time here is limited. Uh -huh. um, so, and there were so many places I hadn't been to and there's still so many places I haven't been to. So, I I would say that uh, it was an innate trait, <laughs> uh, and um, I was very I'm very fortunate that I've been able to travel quite a bit this year and last year. Um, I think there's so much beauty in the world, even in the places you least expect it. It's interesting. You mentioned about how like your perspective changed last year and. I think it's one of those things where you think, oh, well, I can do that next year, I can do that next year. Yeah. Not knowing that the whole world is going to shut down and then suddenly you right. can't do all these things. And it kind of makes you realize, like, I need to do things now, like when yeah. I want to do them. If I want to go there, I need to go because who knows what's going to happen. Maybe there'll be another coronavirus and then we won't be able to go for another, you know, however long. So it's yeah. it's interesting, yeah. Our, our time here is definitely limited where we don't have, we can't be invincible yet. <laughs> mm. So... If there is one piece of advice for anyone hearing this, it's just take action now. Like really, I know it's so cliche, but literally follow your dreams right now. Like, and that's what my heart was telling me. Um, you know, there's all these places, all these national parks and all these beautiful cities that I wanted to explore. And I've checked some of the list. There's quite a lot to go. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are big travelers too. So I'm sure yeah, you, you feel similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also like to going on what you're both saying is even if we do like to travel yeah I feel like the 2020 definitely helped uh, to take the decision of like okay let's quit everything and just go traveling uh, right. because yeah we could do it when we are 60 and when we are retired and maybe we'll have a 
pile of money and stuff like that but maybe we won't make it to 60 maybe we won't yeah. have a pile of money maybe and even if how even the world if, is going to be like that and yeah even if you do have a pile of money at 60 you're you're not in the same physical conditions no. to experience I won't the climb things. the mountain exactly or whatever and yeah exactly so yeah better do it now yeah right now we're i would like to think that we're in our prime <laughs> so 100%. i think that um it's it's the time is now to experience what you want out of this world yeah. <laughs> so where have been some of your favorite places to go oh my goodness uh well, my top place is definitely Puerto Escondido in Oaxaca, Mexico. Mm-hmm. That's, there's just such a magic to it. Uh, we went uh, back in May of this year with my boyfriend and some friends. And we stayed in this beautiful Airbnb right by the beach. We rode horses. We ate wow. delicious Mexican food and mole. And um, we went surfing as well. Me for the first time. And uh, didn't you quite. Look, you must. You must look good on a surfboard. Oh my god! <laughs> I got one good picture, but that's it. It was. It was quite a challenge, to be honest. And I now understand why it's an Olympic sport. <laughs> it is such a workout. Yeah, it it's really in, is. Like the full body, like yeah. Everything. And yeah. the one downside about traveling so much is that you can't have a routine, and then you start going yeah. to the gym. And then you want to do all these things, <laughs> um, mm. but also we went to uh, we got these instructors that took us to like the pro beach. I don't know why, mm-hmm. uh, but the waves <laughs> the waves were enormous, and oh god! Um, I started I started paddling and I just couldn't get through the waves, and like it, I swooped me around and ended up like a mile <laughs> down the beach and had to come back and literally out of breath. And then they were like, "Okay, these kids are new," <laughs> and they took us to. Um, to a more like old age kind of beach yeah. and that's when when I got on the board and actually did the thing and I, I caught a few waves I think I caught like five or six waves uh, for my for being the first time I didn't do I didn't do too bad yeah it's good um, yeah there was a lot of um, it was interesting to see as always um, the dynamics of the people that are locals living in a, in a small beach town and how they are um, how they're being not pushed out but you know, of course benefiting from tourism but such a stark difference from like the touristy area mm-hmm. um, to like the town center um, in terms of you know architecture and, and infrastructure and things like that it was interesting to see that uh but i like to think that you know we're helping the economy and as long as you treat everybody with respect i think you're welcomed yeah yeah what's your top place on the list to go yeah to go uh, hmm i think next year my top place will be italy mm. i still haven't been to italy and it's there's so much romanticism and beauty and I'm just so very excited to try authentic Italian food. Not that there's an authentic here, but like actually like Italian food made in Italy with like Italian ingredients that are fresh, like fresh tomatoes, fresh olives, um, like good quality um, olive oil and things like that. Cheese. I love cheese. <laughs> um, so I, I want to do uh, 
a little European trip next year and I'm excited to do that. I also want to see my dad. I haven't seen my dad in like five years. So we'll probably do um, Spain, Italy, and Alec also loves, he wants to go to Paris. We'll probably do that. And I love Berlin, so I want to go to Berlin. I have never been. So I think it'll be that kind of like European uh, little adventure. I was going to say, if you love cheese, you need to go to France because they have some good cheese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. hundred percent. No, we got the best one. <laughs> yeah, <Just> probably. <laughs> and good wine as well. Good wine in France. Yeah. You guys definitely have to give me some recommendations. Yes. We'll give you a long list of cheeses to try. Don't worry. <laughs> Depending on where you go, we'll be yeah. in, in, in France next summer. So oh, yeah. could even make it, you know. <laughs> oh, amazing. That would be wonderful. And I would also love to go to London. I've only been uh, to Heathrow as a connecting flight and I didn't even leave the airport I did see uh, the river and the, the town center but I didn't quite experience the city I think is there's so much beauty and history there that definitely on the list too so maybe we can I don't know how long this trip is going to be because yeah. I don't want to take <laughs> it's going to be a long one <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um, I think I'm ready for one of those European summers that sounds good yeah. that's going to be a good, like a good trip plan. yeah yeah <laughs> If you could, you, you said at the beginning of the episode that you were an in, more like an introvert, but still, I mean, you probably changed and of opened course. up and everything. Yeah. But, you know, for an introvert to do some modeling, uh, like topless and stuff like that, there's quite a big gap there. Uh, yeah. What would you say to someone, you know, maybe younger that is an introvert, but in his head, he would love maybe to find the courage to be out there maybe it's not the right word but like what what would you say helped you and could help others to you know reach this block mm. I would say that no matter how imperfect or not enough you think you are you are like everything that you think it's a flaw in you or everything that you think uh, wouldn't look good or people would make fun of is part of your magic. Mm. I would say to embrace it and make those imperfections, quote unquote, um, make you stand out and make you the unique person you are. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Something that... um if you okay talk about it, I'm curious. People can't see you, but uh, your nails are painted. Currently. <laughs> oh, I love my face. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because also we talked uh, about this subject with Carlos from uh-huh. the day record uh, yeah. last week on just a, a FaceTime chat that we had privately. <laughs> and we were talking about men painting the nails yeah, and stuff like that. Um, uh, how there is this image of you know uh, only girls should do it or and stuff like that and like I was saying for example like I don't have the courage I, I wouldn't I don't have the courage to do it like you would dare me to do it right now I would yeah. not have the courage um, was it when was the first time you did it and how hard was it it was very easy I didn't even think about it um, interesting must have been like three, four years ago when I did it first. Uh, we were just playing around, literally bored one night, hanging out with friends. 
and one of my dear friends Luigi brought a nail polish with um uh with glitter mm-hmm. mind you glitter out of all things <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I want to try and I put glitter on and I looked beautiful and I love them I was like why have I not ne- never done this before um I think that for people like you Jeremy um there's a lot of uh, unlearning to do there's a lot of gender norms that have been taught to us from our parents and our grandparents that uh, are completely unnecessary I don't think any one thing should be for one gender I think that if you want to put nail, nail polish on you can do it and I think that if you want to wear pants or a scarf or a purse or whatever it's it should be something that sparks joy and makes you happy to do um and it's not something that should be you should be worried about because of how it people will might react or look at you um and i'm very happy to see big artists like bad bunny for example he comes to mind you know pushing like these gender norms very outdated gender norms yeah. and pushing boundaries absolutely the the first time you went out of your house apartment with painting nails were you worried about judgment of other no i i don't know there was a click on my mind i, I don't know exactly when but there was one point in my life that i stopped living it for others and just I just do it for me there's I've always been a very um, independent secure person after that um, I'm very happy that there was a shift in my mentality because if not I would have still been worried about oh I shouldn't do that how do I look or I shouldn't dance like this how what people think of me and I like to think I live my life very authentically because of that I I really do not care what how I might be perceived even though I would like it to be a positive perception <laughs> but if you know I'm I'm not supposed to be liked by everyone in the world if mm. there's someone that is you know it's not your cup of tea and I'm not their cup of tea then so be it but it's not going to stop me from doing the things I want to do Have you done some work on yourself to reach this, I don't know, level, I don't know, I don't even know how to call it, but to, to, to achieve that? Because, you know, we, as human beings, at some point in our life, we all worried about judgment. We want to fit yeah. in. We, we want to belong. Yeah. Um, and it takes really some, you know, inner work to eventually understand and accept and find the courage to be vulnerable, to be who we are and, yeah. and actually be yeah um, how how was this process for you well i think that it started when i was able to form a very close group of friends that acted as my support system and who embraced me for who i was every part of me authentically once i had the support system of friends and family then i you know there was a lot of work internal work that had to be done to kind of unlearn the things that I I had learned from before. So yeah, there was a lot of 
um, meditation, a lot of yoga, a lot of uh, mushroom ceremonies, a lot of changa. Um, we had to put in. I had to put in the work to kind of you know bring forth this authentic, the most true authentic Daryl that I could be. I think it's very powerful what you're saying. I think you know people listening are going to find strength from this as well kind of yeah because in this conversation it was kind of you know it was very terrifying for Jeremy and for the you know Carlos to even think about wearing nail varnish outside and having that as something that you don't worry about and I don't know I just think it's it's interesting how different people worry about different things and seeing somebody else being so okay with it I think will help other people feel so so okay with it as well exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I got I'm like I'm okay with a lot of things. I don't care that much about what other people think about me or even how I look. I mean, I, I don't really care about what I wear and stuff like that. But for yeah. example, like this is something that's, that would scare me. And not, it's not even something that I've, I want to do. I've never thought about it outside right. of this conversation. But I thought that just the thought of that was like, I don't think I would have the balls to do it. Right. I mean, that's something you have to think about a little more. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to dig deep and, and kind of ask yourself why, and then why again, and why, and why, why, until you get to like the most basic reason why there is that fear. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the main reason I know, I know it's judgment. It's like, what are they going to think? Do they think I'm, right. I'm gay? Like stuff like that. I mean, right. it is that. I, I know right. it. I don't know where it's coming from. Maybe I have an idea. <laughs> education <laughs> the, way I, was, the way I was raised yeah, yeah. Um, I mean there's I definitely there's yeah. definitely a stigma behind things like yeah. that and you know um, as, as as a straight guy I can imagine that you don't want to be thought of something else and that's fair um, but then that comes with the fact that we're still thinking of these nails nail polish as something that only women do and that's yeah. that's what we have to change our mentality. Yeah, because at the end, it's just some paint on your nails. It's right? literally paint. It's on just your that, nails. <laughs> yeah. and it's just it's just cotton or polyester or whatever yeah. on your clothes. At the end of yeah. the day, and like the whole thing with colors too, everything is a construct. Gender is mm. a construct. Uh, clothes are a construct. Um, you know, yeah. I'm sure you guys know, but you know, pink used to be a man's color and blue was a women's color in the past. Mm. It's just, it's always something new and something different. And um, I like to think that it's, there's something beyond trying to control the way we behave, you know, and trying to like make us fall in line that um, creates, that create these kind of like rules and, and norms for us. Yeah, for sure. Mm. You make me think of, uh, I don't know if it's a conversation I had with you or with someone else, or it was just in my own head. <laughs> but, could have uh, been. <laughs> yeah, could have been. <laughs> no, when you talk about clothes, it's like, it's true. Like, for example, it would make sense that men actually wear dresses or skirt from the anatomy, you know? I mean, <laughs> more than Absolutely. pants. Like, it would make sense from a pure technical side of things. Yeah, more uh, room to breathe. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, still, like we society created this box and this norm, and and yeah, if we we have to stick with it, well, we don't have to, but we do. Yeah, 
So we have one last question that we ask all of our guests. Okay. And it's if you could have a conversation with anybody, dead or alive, famous or not, who you think you would have a really interesting conversation with, who would you choose and why do you think? If I can choose myself, I would choose myself. Ooh. Oh, that's a new one. What would you ask yourself? Oh, curious about this one. Mm. <laughs> If it's only my past self, I would, I wouldn't ask him anything, but I would have just a very real and honest conversation with my 10 year old self. Mm. I would say that it's going to be okay, that things get better, mm -hmm. that um, we're happy, that we're accomplishing everything we want to do to keep believing in yourself and to not worry about your nose or your teeth or your ears that's all irrelevant mm -hmm. um, I think if I had the courage to find out who I was at an even, young, at an even younger age I would be even happier today mm. um, and I would have probably um, avoided a lot of challenges and struggle mm -hmm. however and this is something one of my clients posted about today. She's an executive coach. And she mentions that even if she had the possibility to go talk to your past self, she wouldn't because all of the challenges and all of the struggles that we go through are shaping and have shaped who I am today. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't mind having a little bit of advantage. <laughs> I think just to, I think especially just to know that you will be okay. Yeah. Like just everything that assurance. will be okay. Everything mm -hmm. will work out okay. Yeah. just carry on it's all gonna happen for a reason you'll learn from it i think just that in itself would be so powerful yeah absolutely so yeah i think maybe myself i love that answer <laughs> I, I didn't expect it at all but i love it yeah oh, such a good one people might say i'm egocentrical but hey <laughs> no i think it's a fair yeah. answer yeah yeah cool thank you so much Daryl. that was Aww. An amazing you conversation it was really <laughs> nice to get to know you more and thank you for also being really honest and open and vulnerable to you know sharing about your past and your life and everything we really appreciate it absolutely it was an absolute pleasure and i'm so glad i actually went through it yes <laughs> um, you survived <laughs> yeah it wasn't too bad i am super excited to um, be a part of it and to hear how it comes out and um, i'm very happy to be able to share this with people and maybe someone can get something out of it yeah i'm sure, I'm sure someone will. at least one person will for sure more yeah <laughs> if people want uh, to reach out to you because they have a question they just want to say hi they just want to say thank you uh, what's the best way to to get in touch with you uh probably instagram uh, just mm -hmm. send me a message on instagram for if you have any questions comments or anything you want to say perfect we'll leave that in the show notes yeah. Thank you so much, Daryl. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you more and to learn more about your story. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you for taking the time to talk thank to us today. You. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Have yeah. a good one. You too. <laughs> and um, for everybody listening, we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode as always. So make sure you come back next week and have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. I just thought about something. Yeah. Uh -huh.
but it's not for the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like when you when you said thank you, uh, a question popped to my head. Daryl, it's not really a Cuban name. It doesn't sound Cuban. Ah, we should, have touched, we should have touched on this topic as well. It actually is. So, yeah. Okay. yeah, the thing with my name is that, like I said, my dad is an English professor. Mm-hmm. And he always had the idea that I was going to live in this country. So he named oh. me Daryl because of that. Oh. It was actually, it was, that could have been a very cool uh, thing to talk about because um, because of the, the um, limitations in Cuba, um, I couldn't just be named Daryl Santos because that wasn't a, a Cuban name, a socialist name, uh, whatever they called it. I forgot what mm. they told my mom. Mm. And they had to add a middle name to my name, which I have since removed. <laughs> oh, uh, what was your middle name? It was Orelvis. Oh. So basically was, you, have, you need to have a Spanish enough name. Right. That wasn't, wow. yeah, that was, that. It was, it was very insane. Which is kind of bullshit because there's a lot of, if you know anything about Cuban culture and names, like they basically make up whatever they want. Like there's, okay. it's an ongoing joke because there's a lot of Y names. Like there's one called US Navy, which is basically mm. US Navy with like a Y in the front. Mm. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, okay. it's a whole thing. But yeah, they have to give me a middle name and I didn't love how it sounded. So when I became a citizen, I took it off. So now it's just Daryl Santos. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, if you're happy with that, we can maybe keep that part of the. I mean, we're still recording. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can add it Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. How, how do you say it in Spanish? Like, how do you, the parent call you? Daril? Daril. Daril. Okay. Yeah. So for half of my life, I was Daril Santos. Daril Orelvi Santos. And for the rest of my life, up until now, it's Daryl Santos. <laughs> mm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> she just came to my head at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. 